0: And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is episode number 491, and we've got quite a bit to try to fit into this program tonight on G220 Radio. I am joined with my co-host here, Mike Miller. How we doing, brother? Sorry, I was
1: checking the audio. I'm doing pretty good. That's good. Outside of not being able to run my
0: technology like I should. having some... Having some technical difficulties with your technology
1: yeah it I can't use it. I'm the technical difficulty
0: oh, you're the tech- yeah well it's it's strange because like I feel like we've been doing the show and we do the show every every Tuesday night live, but at the same time, like I have not been spending a lot of time in the office. I've been so busy with work with things outside of the home. Like we got our chickens, we got stuff, yard work that needs to get done, things in the house, going and doing stuff with the family. I haven't spent a lot of time in here. So coming in here and trying to play with stuff, I'm like, how did this work again? How did I get this on? You know? Um, Yeah. And then you have uh, the issue that when
1: you live stream, you're going to have technical difficulties and there's nothing you can do about it. And... You always have those kind of, like, this should work. It worked last year- week. Why is it not working this week? Right,
0: right. Well, that's the, yeah, that's the same thing. Like, I have everything going through my mixer to come into my headset here to where I can hear it. But then for the last couple of weeks, the music for our introduction has been playing through my desktop speaker, and it's loud. <laughs> and I'm like... I don't even know if it's working on the other end. I know it is now because I've gone back and listened, you know, but I finally just today, I was like, you know, I'm just going to reset my audio settings and then see if it'll work. And I reset it and it all came back into, into here through the mixer. And I'm like, man, I don't understand how they get combobbled or if that's even a word Discombobbled. It's a word I've used in the past. I don't know if it's an actual genuine word, but still use it. Yeah. All right, so a lot here we want to uh, get into tonight. A uh, couple things. We're, we're going to talk about Mars Hill. Uh, we're going to talk about that first here. Um, if you're not we familiar didn't... with... Go ahead. What was you going to say? Well, we should specify,
1: because there's actually two Mars Hills that are, were, I guess we could say, popular back in the day.
0: And both of them turned out to be not so great. Well, Yeah. Cause wasn't it uh the uh the love guy at the other Mars yeah. Hill. What yeah. was his name? Um Um I don't know, he's so f- that's like old Rob news. Bell, Rob Bell, Rob yeah, Bell Yeah, that guy. Yeah, Rob Bell, who's a heretic Love Wins, that's what it was the book that he wrote. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But we're not talking about that Mars Hill. No, we're talking are about we the, talking other other Mars Mars the one Hill. in
0: Greece. No, yeah, we're talking about the other Mars Hill. So yeah. years ago, um I think especially around the time of the internet getting very popular with YouTube and people putting clips and things out there of their preaching and when I, I I know years ago sermon jams used to be awesome like I would find these cool sermon jams of there'd be some music behind it and some preacher preaching a strong message you know just a short clip and you'd get them and you'd get fired up you'd get excited about the preaching and they just get shared all over the place. Well, one of the guys who was in some of those sermon jams uh, was Mark Driscoll. And so Mark Driscoll is, or was the pastor of Mars Hill. And the reason we're talking about this is just recently, uh, and some people are covering this. It's kind of going around. It's the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Speaking of the church that Mark Driscoll was the pastor of, and it's put out by Christianity Today. So I want to tell you, I, I think you should listen to the program, listen to it, because I think there is some good, helpful information in there. But I want to let you know, it is bias. I mean, Christianity Today is not the most biblically sound um, news or uh, publication that's out there that's putting out things in the Christian sphere. And so, Mike, you even had a a name, you called it earlier when we first got on here, you call it Christianity what? Astray, but that's not me.
1: (laughs) <laughs> that is something I picked up from the one, the only, the freakishly tall, Friel.
0: Okay, so so Todd Friel of Wretched Radio, uh, Christianity Destroyed, because a lot of things that they put on there are contrary to what we would consider biblical Christianity. Now, there may be some good things on there, just like with another one, Pathio. Sometimes you find some good things on there, but you also find things by guys that are heretical on there. Uh And so you have to be able to discern And Christianity Today is not one that I would want to promote to people necessarily to go and get. However, I think this podcast is the production of it is done really well. And I think that it really it allows you to see some of the inside things talking to some of the people that are in or were involved with Mars Hill with Mark Driscoll. Um, many of them are not believers today. So, I mean, I want to preface that again, because we're talking about Christianity today here, putting this out. But I think there is some things that you can learn from it. And, and practically, how do we apply that? Things to look for when you're getting into a church and you may have a charismatically strong personality like a Mark Driscoll. You know? And so I think that those kind of things can be helpful to glean from that uh, um, podcast to to be able to, uh, again, think about these things, be able to discern these things in your sphere. Because, hey, there are some authoritarian kind of people out there in leadership of places, of churches. There's abuse that happens in churches. Uh, and so we want you to be the most informed that you can be and and trying to be able to discern when you see those things. And so I think it can help you to see some of the things as it was leading up to the fall of Mars Hill, so to speak.
1: Yeah. And kind of a little bit. So Mike Cosper is the host. Now I'm familiar somewhat with Mike Cosper, how I first knew about him. He was um, a pastor at Sojourn Community Church um, here in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a Southern Baptist, tends to be a little bit more hip. Um, You might even heard some of their music um, by the name, Sojourn, their house band, their worship band. Um, A multi-site or was a multi-site, is a multi-site church here in Louisville. But they had strong connections with Mars Hill. Um, And so I think there is, um, I don't know how Mike... And his relations with Mars Hill and the Act Sixteen movement, but there is connections there. So I think for the host, and at least from what I know of him, um, he has some of the insights already involving in some of this. And so, but it's always good to look and to think through what happens to a church that dies. Why does it look, you know, kind of use the the analogy Jesus does, it looks like a whitewash tomb and then we see the true colors when it starts to decay and age and people stop taking care of it. And so I think it is important. And I think also because Driscoll, Dr- Mark Driscoll is in the news now as a coming back to becoming a pastor in a different city in a different part of the country um, similar to maybe even a um, a truly intravision and the fall that he took from his church. I um, we should yeah think about these things and to identify these marks and to think more biblically about it because I think there's things that Mark Driscoll did did that we can maybe see a little bit in their fall um, with it. And so it'll be, I think it'll be a good conversation to think about again, just what, how does a church die and especially in the way of the fall of Mars Hill? Yeah.
0: And so some of the things that listening to this um, podcast and trying to get some of the, 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 the backstory or the inside scoop. So, you know, of people that were there. I think one of the things that kind of stood out to me is the, the idea that Driscoll started from a very, well, at a young age, I think, I think they said about 19 years old, he said, you know, the Lord kind of spoke to him that he was going to marry his wife and then kind of preach and, and preach the word of God. And so at a young age, and so I think he was probably in his uh, upper twenties when he, you know, started Ma- um, Mars Hill but he didn't have it show, it seems he didn't have, and it even comes out a little bit later through that that series. He didn't have other men around him that were older, wiser, uh-huh. people even helping him plant the church. So that pulls it back to say, how do we plant churches? I think today we look at the world and there are people that just want to plant their own churches. They just go and say, you know what? I'm 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 fed up with this church. I don't like the way this church does things. I'm gonna go start my own church. And biblically, that's not what we see. You have men that are over you, that you are sitting under, that recognize—I mean, you, you have this internal call if you're called to preach, pastor, shepherd a church. There's an internal call that happens, but there are also men around you that observe that in your life and see that gifting, and they work to move you into those positions to help you along that way. So they're able to discern does this person have the qualifications? Do they have the the temperament? Do they have the the character to be a a shepherd of God's sheep? Right. And so that doesn't seem as if that's what happened with Mark Driscoll. So that's one thing that would kind of you'd want to look for is this person just planting their own church? Have they been sent by another church to plant a church? Yeah, and I think
1: there's that balance, too, as you kind of say there. And I think a lot of times what we see in American evangelicalism, um, at least in the free church tradition, so the Baptist, non-denominational, all your charismatic people, is that the my sense of calling cannot be questioned. I think you see this in the, um, the argumentation for feminist for female pastors. Are you to deny God's calling on her life? She feels the sense to preach. Now, I think we start seeing it. And I think you start seeing that with Driscoll and just from my understanding, I haven't listened to the episode, so um, this is not a commentating on what they said. But just from what I remember, Triscoll was just there. He was hitting the big stages. He was at Desiring God, and that created a stir. He was going to the conferences, part of the circuit. I don't think he ever went to Shepherd's or. Um, over in Ligonier, but you saw him getting on the kind of celebrity pastor circuit for conferences. And as kind of like this young up and comer, like, um, in the same way that Matt Chandler in, uh, has become popular and kind of through that means, and I think that's a danger. Yeah. Like he's not as you okay, he has this calling, but do we really know his character? Do we know who he is? And that's where I think you that outside assessment is needed. Mm-hmm. Is there's this calling, but yeah, you may have the calling, but is it a true calling or is it this is what I want to do? Yeah. And I just seems like with Driscoll, who was more charismatic, let's kind of put it in that way than, you know, Ricky and myself are. Um, Maybe not Hillsong charismatic either, right? So, well, he came off very
0: conservative too. So that was that was another kind of draw, I think, for a lot of the. This was around the time too with the young, restless, and reformed. Mm -hmm. You know, Piper did that. That don't waste your life at the passions conference that yeah. really sparked a move in people. And they're like, what is this reformed theology? And yeah. so you got this young, restless and reform kind of coming out of that as well. So he was very conservative. So it wasn't like the, the kind of charismatic that we see with guys like Joel Osteen or, um, uh, TD Jakes, this kind of, even Stephen Furtick, you know, yeah. even though he's kind of would have started off similar, similar, you know, but then we really see his charismatic kind of leanings um, over the years. But there was that young, restless and reformed movement where a lot of people were getting into it. A lot of people, I, I think, again, one of the things that I believe draws a lot of people to a character like Driscoll, which is the same thing that draws people to people like Paul Washer, Vodi Bauckham. They speak hard truths. Uh-huh. They don't shy away from saying what is needed to be said. And Driscoll did that. Driscoll did that. And it, it drew men to that saying, this is something different than your, your your regular church that we know, this traditional kind of church that we know. He bought a warehouse. They, they put it in there. You've got a band. But he's very conservative. Very yeah. conservative. And he's standing for traditional values. And he's preaching that men need to be men. And he's saying you need to to stand for your stand up for your women, and so it was this very traditional kind of teaching, and re, and reformed kind of teaching, and yet he also took that too far, and we see that as later progresses, he gets very um, in in the words that he speaks, sometimes even cursing from the pulpit, mm-hmm. sometimes um, being very explicit in his uh, usage of sexual things in his sermons, you know, which he did receive people in his life listening to that, that podcast. There, there was people that came along and said, hey, look, this could be destructive. You need to have somebody maybe counsel you, some people that you have in your life to counsel you. And now, again, this came from the podcast. This is where I'm, I'm pulling this from. So, but it was suggested to him that why don't you have Piper... Be like a mentor to you, a counsel somebody to counsel you. Mm-hmm. And the response that was given in this podcast was that Driscoll said he can't counsel me. I have a bigger church than him. And so you in that aspect, you start to see then it starts to become about the fame of Driscoll, the man, yeah. the myth, and the legend, so to speak, the the brand
1: as he the would brand. Say. yes, um I'm looking at an article. By the same name from Seattle times posted shortly after, um, the fall of Mars Hill. So we are talking 2014 and you know, they're kind of that sense. And I think that's where he built it on, unlike Vody Balcom and Paul washer who speaks hard truths, but do it. In a way that they use a the language that's not harsh, or I don't want to say harsh, explicit, explicit, crass.
0: Yeah, crass. Crass is a good word.
1: Um, and that's what Driscoll did. I think, and and you see that people and he became very divisive as you, as, as we see, like with it. I mean, John MacArthur calls him out mm-hmm. about this language and you know there is something between him and john piper um when he goes to the desiring god national conference in minneapolis that maybe shows something different of him um but as you said it that was short-lived i mean maybe not on a sunday morning as he would say was he using kind of more explicit language? Um, you know, he always kind of qualified, well, it was, you know, during adults only, you know, he would say it, but I think a lot of pastors rightly, and we need to consider the language. And a lot of people try to use Martin Luther as an example that Martin Luther was very kind of used loose language in that way. And, and even tried to go to Paul, we have a tongue waggers to discuss that. But just because Luther was loose with his language and may come, was a little bit more crass than what we want, and even the reformers and how they wrote, um, that doesn't mean we should do it. Right. And that's the evaluation. How do we use words? We're accountable for every word we say.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: should be considered about the words. And I think what you see with Driscoll and as it goes on is he's careless with his words. He's not using them in a way to edify the church. And as you mentioned, kind of his brand and try to protect the brand, there is this ability and even the church model that he has allows for these abuses to happen. Mm -hmm. I think Mars Hill and, um, James McDonald's church harvest church follow similar declines and again. James McDonald had cancer and he seemed to change and he seemed to move the way Driscoll Driscoll was.
0: Well, they talk about that in the podcast where he starts to get a kinship with James McDonald and -hmm. they start hanging out. And then James McDonald starts to change how he does things, how he dresses, growing some Mm -hmm. facial hair, you know, and matter of fact, both of them, Showed up at the Shepherds Conference, conference not invited as guests or whatever, but to There's, get get rid of get some of Driscoll's fire. books out there. Yeah, at the yeah. Strange Fire, yeah, that's what it was, a Strange Fire to get their books out there, or Driscoll's book out, and um, they were confronted in that. But you start to see the destructive patterns getting worse and worse for them to where now both of them are were well in uh, McDonald's case, he was removed from that. That, that pastor, there was abuse, there was allegations brought up against him. And Driscoll- hit man. Yeah, yeah, very, very crazy things going on. And then Driscoll, in his church, they were working towards trying to deal- There's a fly in here, it's driving me crazy. <laughs> Just saying. Um, they were working towards trying to deal with the situation that was going on. Because they recognized it was abusive pattern. There was this authoritarian kind of leadership with Mark Driscoll. And so they were working and in that podcast the men that were in the the mix of it said we weren't working to fire him or to remove him because they thought very highly of Driscoll except for obviously there was these abuses they wanted to get under control they, it was all about that brand and so they wanted to keep him in that position but they were trying to work through those those issues and that's when Driscoll decided that the Lord spoke to him again he says the Lord spoke to him and his wife that they were out to get him so leave the church. And they were kind of, that was their way out. And you also have to be very careful with that. When people say, God spoke to me and told me to do this. Right. That's, that's another sign. I mean, we're not going to get too deep into that, but that's another sign, but you start to see these destructive patterns. And so abuse does happen in churches. There are authoritarian kind of leaders that are out there that you, you have to be able to discern these types of behavior and say, Look, these are destructive. So, one, you don't want to put a novice into a position of pastoring a church. Two, who's ever that pastor of the church, one, we believe in a multitude of elders here at G220 Radio. Uh-huh. But Some churches aren't like that. I mean, I'm in a, a church that has basically one pastor, one elder. Um, but at the same time, we do believe that here. We believe in a multitude of co- uh, elders because you have a council. You have people working that are not just not because they want to check everything you do, but because together you can make the best decisions for that body. Uh So you you want to have that. You want to have someone who's over you in a sense that, that they will tell you things that you may not want to hear, but you need that. We all need that. Uh, It's for our own good, right? To have someone to counsel. So those are things you want to, you want to have and you want to look, look for and make sure that that who's ever, you know, pastoring and it seems they may, may be going down this road. Are those things in place, or do they only surround themselves with people who are yes men, people who are going to go along with whatever direction they they want to go, with no questions really asked?
1: Yeah, and I think that's you know the important part, and to think about that the pastor on a elder board or a board of elders is one among equals, or he's a head among equals, like our pastor. Um, while he brings up motions on behalf of the elder board, he doesn't have a superior vote over the elder board. And we have two other elders besides my pastor. And I think that's the way to do it. And I think this came down to, I don't know. Do you remember the TG, uh, the gospel coalition had a video with Mark Dever, James McDonald and Mark Driscoll about multi-church sites. Do you remember this?
0: Mm. No, not off the top of my head. I'm not. It's it is
1: really good to listen to because you see the difference in the church models and the importance. And two out of the three no longer have churches. Mm. Or they've left their church or they had to leave their or they had to resign. One has not. Now, you may have your opinions of Mark Dever now. But for this in points, his character is seemingly correct. He's a pastor without that's dignified. He doesn't have these flaws. And what you see in it, and I think this is important kind of with this, is their egos. At one point, Mark Dever was like, Well, why don't you just plant churches. Mark Dever's big about planting churches. You send pastors, you plant churches. And what they and kind of in their churches is like, well, but they need someone to experience. And that's where we come in. So that's why you video cast. So you have someone they can listen to. And you see this kind of ego that, well yeah, we could do that, but we're we'd be sending bad pastors, incomplete pastors, pastors that are not going to do well. So they really need our teaching because we're more experienced, we're better. in kind of that mentality, at least that's the takeaway I have part of it. It's, it's actually really good. And to see the difference, if you really want to know the difference in church polity between kind of the mega church model and the multi-church site versus a single church that does church planning. Um, to expand, but you see, they're kind of expanding of their brand, who they are with it. And then that becomes an issue that you have to now protect your brand. That's going to be the desires. And I think when you kind of see the fall of Mars Hill, you see someone who had to protect their brand brand. And in doing so, I mean, the sinfulness of their hearts came out. Mm -hmm. Because it was no longer about them, about God, it was about them. It was about who they are. And that's, I mean, that's even very, you know, this can be applied in different ways. We see it when national companies, have a CEO that may say something that's racist. And now they have to do brand, they have to do brand control. They got damage control of the brand, you know, Papa John's, for example, here, um, it was a big deal here in Louisville, his name, got Papa John's, his name got pulled off of Cardinal stadium where the university of Louisville Cardinals play, um, his name was ripped off on buildings at the university of Louisville they do these things to appease. And I I think you see the same thing coming out of Mars Hill in Seattle is that the abuse that came at least appearance to me is that in one sense was to control the brand to who he is. This is who we are as Mars Hill. And if you don't fit it, that's it. Um, I mean, even On second thought and thinking through, is just his preaching style. He would just come up with sticky note with -hmm. maybe some verses on it, and just preach, kind of letting the spirit go, is what they said. Well, how much study does that really take? Is he really studying what the word is saying, and applying it to his own heart before he's preaching it?
0: Right. So now you have that issue too. Yeah, that, that's even brought up in in one of the episodes. I I, I went through six of them. Um, I think there's only six out right now. I don't know if they, there's more that's going to continue and, and if they're just released weekly or whatever. Um, I came across it the other day, and hence the show we're doing tonight. <clears throat> but that was mentioned that in the beginning he was had more prep, but then he got to a point where he just come up on stage with no preparation whatsoever, you know. And so again, a lot of as I mentioned earlier, sermon jams, a little sound bites can really, like, well, that's great. Wow, what he just said there was amazing. But in sound bites, not so much... Oh, that fly is driving me nuts. Not not so much in the entirety of the sermon, right? Uh So as we kind of move on, I I do want to... There was some people that I asked this question on my Facebook today about Mars Hill, and some people had some comments. I just wanted to kind of read those, and then uh, we'll get some closing thoughts and then move on to our next topic. But... Uh, Joshua Wilson said, Never listen to Driscoll. I came to reform theology through people like MacArthur and Sproul. So people who were popular uh, for their speaking styles, like Driscoll, Chandler, and et cetera, never interested me. I don't mean to theologically equate the two, he says. "Uh, So Driscoll's fall was sad, didn't come as a surprise to me. And then uh, Dan Beitzel said, I liked it. I actually liked, liked Driscoll to a certain extent. He's not a little feminine baby, like many pastors. He was strong on men being men, and for a time was theologically solid on the major points. He took Seattle Soy Boys and helped them become biblical men, get married, and raise children. Uh, but with that being said, he had a whole host of problems. The podcast does a good job of analyzing the whole situation, but some of the later episodes criticize some of the points that were actually good about Driscoll. But Christianity Today is a soft is soft on issues of egalit and egalitarian. So it's no surprise. Overall, it's accurate and very entertaining. So that's just a few of the comments <clears throat> that were given uh, on the topic when bringing up Mars Hill. So Mike, any closing thoughts that you would want to leave with Driscoll and Mars Hill and and that uh, there? And then we'll, we'll move on to the next topic.
1: Yeah. So just a couple. I think first off, there are times that Mark Driscoll preached the truth and we should rejoice in it. Even Paul Rejoiced in people who preach the gospel with alternative motives. Cause the gospel is being preached. So this isn't us saying, well, if you listened to him, you've received a bad teaching, that you're a, you know, you need to be saved. If you're saved under his ministry, you're not really saved. This is not us saying that. We should recognize that he did preach the truth at times. Maybe not the ways we wanted to, as kind of Dan said, kind of with that crassness. Um, but he did preach the gospel. He was used by God to do the work. And even in that, the Acts 29 network that he created to church plant created churches. Probably some that fell and then were not as solid, and some that were solid. And we saw it get taken over. Um, even Sojourn Community Church is out of the Acts 29 network before they left and created their own church planning network. We should see that God did use him. He used a fallen, a a fallen man, in the sin sense, to do things for Him, and we should recognize that. Yes, his church becomes an example of what bad churches and what bad leadership looks like. But God can use bad things for His glory and for His good, and I think we should see some of some of these ideas that are good with it, um, that good that did come from him and from his ministry. Um, even though, I mean, eventually basically brought himself to be one who should not be in ministry.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I I don't think he should be in ministry at this point. Um, I do believe that he has exposed his beliefs. I think it's one of those things that we see. Again, God used it, but like we've said in the past, there are some preach for wrong motives and wrong reasons, but yet they do preach Christ, and so God uses it. While I mean, how God works all those things out, I'll leave that up to God. Um, But he does pastor today in a smaller church. Mars Hill was huge. It was a big church. Multi-campus, like you said, you know, but thirteen
1: thousand members.
0: Yeah, a, in Seattle, of all places, a place that was very—that was I across mean, all of his. So let me praise that: The thirteen thousand across
1: like eighteen campuses. Yeah,
0: yeah, but the thing is, Seattle was is a very tough area. I mean, it's a very liberal-minded, and uh-huh. then and and you had the alternative music that came out of there, the grunge and all that kind of atmosphere uh Nirvana Pearl Jam these kind of soundgarden th- these kind of that aggression against the the normal see of things and so that's the environment that you're in so again god used that there at the time but i do believe that he now pastors a church uh, trinity bible church or trinity something that has less amount of people maybe 100 or so people still a lot of people uh, under the influence of, of of Driscoll, but he's changed his theology. And that, not that we shouldn't grow in our theology, but you got to be careful when you find people that change their theology to suit the ministry. So I'm not going to be accepted in any reform circles, so I'm no longer reformed, and I'm going to speak out against Calvinism or the Five Points, and now I'm fully over on board with the charismatic kind of, you know, Bill Johnson, Bethel kind of, you know, type thinking and teaching. And he was already showed those signs when he was saying God's speaking to him and showing him things in visions, even when he was at Mars Hill. So those things were there, um, but now more explicit, you know what I mean? So you got to, you got to watch for those kind of things when people just change their theology to fit wherever they move, you know? Yeah. So, all right, now we're going to talk about Simone Biles. Now I am not, a big sports fanatic. I, I used to watch sports a lot. I used to watch football. I used to watch basketball and play basketball quite a bit. I'm old now. I'm almost 45. So I don't do those kind of things. But I've really, over the years, I just don't have the time. And I just, I just, it's not wrong to watch sports. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't spend a lot of time doing it. So I don't really keep up with a lot of things that are going on. I didn't watch any of the NBA finals. I, I really hardly ever watch um, uh, the Olympics a little bit here and there, maybe like I even posted a video today. I saw of a, a female from, I think she was like from Australia or some somewhere that she got tripped. She tripped up and she was in the back and she gets up and just keeps on going, doesn't quit and wins that heat. Like uh-huh. it was amazing. You know, like you, she didn't give up. She didn't quit. She just kept going. So, I mean, I'm not against those things. So I don't want you to hear like, this isn't my, my intentions in talking about Simone Biles is not to criticize her, um, because I'm not an athlete, you know. Um, this woman has a young lady, I think she's like 24 years old, already has a, a 32 Olympic and World Championship medals. So coming into this, she's got medals and she just won another bronze uh, just I think yesterday or yeah uh-huh. yesterday. So she's mentally tough in the areas that you would need to be mentally tough for that kind of physical and the training. Obviously, you're training from a very young age. You got to be very disciplined, disciplined in what you eat, disciplined in your training, you know, how much time you're spending to do that. So what I've seen, though, is people, they're either completely in love with this young, young lady as far as, you know, treating her as a hero, or you have the other side where people are criticizing her and saying she's a quitter, and this is just horrible. She quit on her teammates. Now, I don't know the motives and intentions of her heart, right? But when I looked at this, I, there was a lot of things that was going through my mind. And I'm thinking, okay, I grew up in a time when there were, like we were talking before the show, Michael Jordan playing with the flu, you know, and getting out there and that, that mental toughness and just wanting to win, wanting to, to not let his teammates down and, and to do that. And then you look at many others in history. Uh, you look at Jackie Robinson, you know, in baseball, the mental things he would have had to go through to come into an all-white league, to play baseball and breaking those barriers, okay? So there are many people who have gone through many things, a lot of mental uh, um, pressure, a lot of things that they've had to overcome in sports. However, we're also, we need to realize that somebody's health is more important than a medal. So if, if I could happen to die from doing an activity, or really injure myself from doing an activity and I feel it's in the best interest to preserve my health or to preserve my life, then that's also a right call because no metal is worth your life. Right? So, I mean, I think we as Christians need to try to find a balance to where we are not necessarily criticizing everything we don't agree with, but also letting time for things to come out, to find out whether it's legitimate, if there really is a mental issue here, if there's, good reasons why she decided to to pull out of these or withdraw, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts you want to say on that before we, we talk about what she said was the reason? So, just to think about
1: um, Simone, I think that's her name, I don't know. Pronounce her name. Um, mm-hmm. She has a tour, a gymnastic tour, that she's been doing. It's been advertised, at least in my uh, cause watch some Olympic things. I get the advertisement with it. Um, like you, I haven't really paid attention to a lot of sports, maybe outside of disc golf, watching, uh, the preserve this last weekend or catching up on it. There's kind of like the only sports I keep up on and though. I will rotate through some like sports highlights or something like that now. And then, <clears throat> But just from what I know of of Simone, is that she has pushed gymnastics in difficulty farther. I mean, just before she um, drops out, the Olympic committee says, well, they're not going to grade her as well because she's so much better. I mean, that's obviously a topic of discussion that we can have? Is that even fair for her who makes her pushes her life for this? And so I think we get to realize that, in one sense, she is the Michael Jordan of gymnastics. And what Michael Jordan did for the NBA, she's doing for gymnastics, like no other gymnastics person's done before the level of di- difficulties her acts are are uncomparable to any of her peers now. So we're talking about someone who is really the creme of the creme of the top of gymnastics, um, in the, in the world, there are none like her. She, in in that sense, second to none. So, I mean, when she does something like this, this should spark discussion. Mm. This should spark. Why she would choose to do this, and I think it also might give you a little bit of what has happened in America in the last 30 years you know, from Jordan the flu game to now. I guess it'd be 25 years ago when you we consider that, um, that event,
0: yeah. And the other thing that kind of came to my mind is because what was mentioned is that she was suffering from what is known as twisties. And uh, I didn't know anything about this. I'm, I, I know that they jump up in the air and they twist. I, I don't know what, what twisties was. I had to look this up, right? Um, but these twisties is when it's, it's a phenomenon when an athlete suddenly loses their sense of where their body is in space. So you imagine this gymnastics who is spinning one way but also spinning another way to do these flips and, and in their, their performance. And it's kind of like been explained as I was trying to look at this, like an inner ear, uh, inner balance, um, you know, difficulty or, or uh, vertigo or something like that, where you, you don't know where you are in, in your, you're doing this performance. And so landing, you could land badly, poorly and hurt yourself, uh, or even like serious injury or, or maybe even death. Cause these are difficult, things to do for these gymnasts and uh-huh. um so you got to look at those things she knows her body better than anybody else but also if that is a difficulty and she sees it you know a lot of people some people are saying well she's a quitter you know she quit on her team but I would ask and again I don't know I, I'll let it come out for whatever comes out if, if there's more to it I didn't see her quitting because she was doing a protest you know like protesting the olympics um, like the one lady that plays the soccer who um, I, I can't think of her name, but yeah, she, she's not important. Like, no, but she, she, she wouldn't, you know, kneeling, she's kneeling during the, the national anthem and stuff like that. Like these are the Olympics. You're in there to win for your country. you are given this opportunity, but you're going to, I, I mean, I know people have protested things in in the past, not a topic. <laughs> I don't want to get sidetracked. That's where I'm kind of wanting to go, but I, I don't want to do that. Um, but the point is, if she's experienced in those things, it could be a noble thing to say, look, this may affect, number one, my health. I could hurt myself like seriously or, or have some serious uh, injury from this. And it's not going to help my team win any medals or win any gold, you know. So if I pull out, I'm giving them a chance. So the, my bad scores or my bad uh, performance doesn't affect them. So it could be viewed as unselfish. You know, it's just a thought. Again, I don't know her motives and intentions of her. I don't know it. I don't watch a lot of uh, the Olympics, but I'm just saying as Christians, we should be gracious in how we respond to to things that we see in the world. Calling out things that we know are, are absolutely sin and wrong, but in situa- situations like this, it's a sport, right? It's a
1: sport. Yeah, so on the ESPN article about um, this... Um, um. situation the author let me see if I can get it here it's just ESPN news source very specific there ESPN says so rather than to push through the doubts that crept into her head as she's done it many times before um, Bales decided to pull out well, enough was enough she was done for now Um. that you know you, you see that and I think a lot of it is this, this idea of mental health. And. And when I read this and kind of know a little bit about her, if you're not certain, you can hit this, especially something that pushes the envelope. And we don't know the, really the effects of what happens if she misses it. I'm like she's probably practiced this tons of time in a pit where she's jumping off into a pit. So if something does go wrong, it's a pit, it's a pit of styrofoam. It's going to catch her. It's not going to hurt her. I mean, there are, you see this in like in her life, this, it may be more extreme example, but people who commit suicide who tend to have this thought of well no one cares no one matters and they just like was enough is enough i'm not saying this is exactly the same what she realized and probably what this person doesn't is that when this person says the person committed suicide thinks enough is enough they're giving in to the temptation. They're not thinking rationally about what's happening. What it seems that um Simone is doing here is she's saying like, look, I could hurt myself, I can kill myself. And there's times that I've been able to push it, but her confidence in doing it is not enough. And having that thinking through, and stopping, I think this kind of relates a little bit to with how we may experience burnout yeah. in our lives and the importance of, I don't know, taking a day of rest, taking a Sabbath day um, becomes important to help us to not only think about God, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago in the show, But to reset our mind, there is, God has given us rest for this purpose. Olympians train all the time. There is, you can't really take breaks. And I think you just see what happens when you don't stop. You lose confidence. You experience burnout. And I think she really, we should see that as an issue. She calls it mental health. That's a fancy name for burnout. She got burnt out. She wasn't prepared. She couldn't do it. And our body needs rest. God's given us rest. to be refreshed and to continue and to go on and what's more refreshing and then to spending that with the Lord and the Lord's day with the Lord's people.
0: Yeah. Good transition to the spiritual aspect of getting people to get into the church. So um, here's just a few comments and uh, and then we'll try to move on to the next topic here. Uh, Let's see. Chad Chad said, my opinion is that she couldn't handle the pressure. Now what caused the pressure to get to the point? I have no idea and don't really care. None of my business. Some athletes can take the pressure. Some can't, doesn't make her a bad person, but her withdrawal also doesn't make her the goat. And that what I was heard was that she had goat written on her, uh, uniform or jacket or something like that. Goat being greatest of all time. You know, we refer to Michael Jordan as the goat. Some may argue and say, LeBron James, i just stop. <clears throat> just stop. But <laughs> um, uh, Jason Brain uh, says, uh, well, my comments. Well, my comments is most people that have an opinion on it don't have enough facts to have a valued one. I go to a church with an Olympic gymnast who is now a commentator on ESPN. And the reason she pulled out is she has what is called the twisties and it's equivalent to the shanks in golf. Uh, When a gymnast gets the twisties, their body does not do what the brain is telling it to do, which is very dangerous in the sport. So she did the right thing. So again, here's just a few different contrasts. Uh, Then we have also one real quick here. Uh, Jennifer Griffin said, I was extremely sad by by many people's quick reaction to throw her under the bus and call names. She said it was for her mental health. It is a head issue. She is still dealing with it from all I've watched and read. It's called twisties in gymnastics. It's an inner ear type issue, and she's still off on her landings in practice. It can take days to months to resolve. I'm glad she could say no. She's the best gymnast to date. Her routines are death defying, and she couldn't, she could have, I think she meant to say she could have died or been severely injured uh, of or if she went through with them. She is going for the beam, last I heard, which. We know that she did and, and won the bronze, I believe uh, it's the one that's the safest. Uh, she's even changed her dismount to be different so she can do it without all the twist. I hope she nails it. So that's just a few of those. And uh, that's, a, that's what we're going to say about that here. If you have any questions, okay. comments, concerns, you can email us at g220radio at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Now we're going to try to transition here uh, into this last topic with a little bit of time that we have left. Um, but, Hebrew Israelites love to throw out there that uh, Joseph plus Mary equals Jesus. Joseph is the biological father of Jesus. Uh, That's how he was born, because it comes from the seed of the man. And how could Jesus be here? They deny the virgin birth. They argue that the virgin in uh, um, the Old Testament is referring to uh, a woman at the time, just meaning a a young woman. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think we've even heard that argument from some other cults. You know, it was just a young woman. Um, So... That's some of their arguments. But we want to kind of talk about that because you have these two different genealogies and they'll even show some of those uh, discrepancies between Matthew and Luke. Um, So Mike, what, what would you say to someone who's confused or struggling to understand this when it comes to Joseph? Is he the biological father of Jesus? We'd say no, just the preface, but let's dig that out. So first off,
1: Let's deal with obviously Isaiah 7, in which it talks about um, a young woman. I think the Hebrew is virgin, it does have this connotation of a young woman. I agree. I think, and I, I don't even oppose trans Bible translations taking that out. I think that's what. Isaiah is intending that is what the story afterward intends that a young woman gives birth. So I agree with them. The Old Testament does use it in that way. What I want to say next though, is that Matthew by the power of the spirit interprets it in a different way. Matthew by the spirit adds That this was not just talking about the young lady at the time in the story that Isaiah was giving, but that it had a deeper and better meaning in which we see with Jesus Christ being born of a virgin who knew not a man. Now, we know that the spirit was part of it. The spirit created the infant or the the cells for Jesus that would become, that is Jesus, who would grow into the man that we know. It's really hard to discuss this in that way. I think there's issues if you're strictly saying it's strictly physical, which is what the Hebrew Israelites are arguing. The Bible doesn't explain it that way. And obviously, they don't trust, They're not trusting the reports of Matthew and Luke on this point. They're actually agreeing with the Pharisees and John. They make this comment about that. Maybe it was somewhat popular that, that, um, Jesus's mom had an affair. That's obviously not what the Bible teaches. Now could the DNA used in Jesus be Joseph? I don't know. God is the one who created it. It could have not even have Mary's DNA. I think a lot of people is it, um, we kind of think of it naturally and we should have in in some sense, some mystery of it we should see the miracle of it that God was able to create a cell necessary for Jesus to become human, to take upon himself a human body in the incarnation. And so there is this, this idea, but then again, it's how Do you trust the Bible and the Hebrew Israelites? They don't. And to answer Arthur's question, he says, is it possible that young single women who had sexual relations became pregnant and to avoid capital punishment would tell a lie that went too far? Well, yeah, they could have. But then the question is, is that what the Bible says? And it's not. Um, The Bible is clear that it was the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit that created the cells, um, Jesus's cells. So, and if it was true, I mean, Joseph is in the cover up too. And if Joseph doesn't say anything, I mean, there might be around, but who would know kind of in it, unless people start talking, but still. We don't have what was going on. We have only a sliver of what of Jesus' birth. And what we're told is it's by the power of the Spirit.
0: Yeah, Arthur also asked here, is it possible the Bible got it wrong? No, the Bible didn't no. get it wrong. It's the Word of God. Uh, we stand upon the Word of God. And I think when we look at Matthew, here, here's the big thing. When we look in Genesis, when God brings Adam and he brings Eve together, and it says, and they knew each other. There's this intimacy that takes place. Uh-huh. But the thing we see here is, I don't think you can read the account in Matthew and come up with that type of understanding that they were physical, that um, Joseph was physical with uh, with Mary. Now, she was espoused. Being espoused is like you're basically married. You, you haven't gone through the, the, the complete it's ceremony yet. Yeah, it's an engagement. You're you're seen as if you were married, although you have not gone through again the ceremonies to get to that point, right? So, but the Bible tells us that number one, she she becomes pregnant, and the Bible also tells us that it is through the Spirit of God that comes upon her, and and this baby is is formed and and she's pregnant um, by the Holy Spirit. Now, um, it also says that Joseph, being a good man. Uh, Let me get the word, the wording here. Um, He tried to divorce her and quietly. Yeah, quietly. It says he didn't want to bring shame upon her. Yeah, it says, and her husband, Joseph, because it does say her husband, Joseph, in in the ESV, uh, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So if he was the one who got her pregnant and he's a spouse to marry her, why would this be like, whoa, wait a minute, she's pregnant? as if it's come some kind of shock to him, like, how'd she get pregnant? We're supposed to be married. We're supposed to come together here and she's pregnant. And the the, the natural thinking, the logical thinking of a man, if I was going to marry a woman and I had no sexual relations with her, we have not been intimate together and she ends up pregnant, I'm going to be like, whoa, that's not, that's not my child. How, what have you been doing? Right? So he's going to put her away privately because he's a just man. And yet the, the angel comes to him, Gabriel, and says, that which is conceived of Mary is from the Holy Spirit. Right? Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. So that right there doesn't fit the narrative of the, the so-called Hebrew Israelites of, well, she was pregnant by, by Joseph. Right? It just doesn't fit the narrative there. And it says, he did not know her until after the birth of Christ. So there was no intimacy in that way. They were married, but there was no intimacy in that way. And one of the arguments they love to argue is, well, how do you, how do you biblically um, confirm a marriage? And they'll say through the sexual intercourse. When When two people come together, they become one flesh. And so, yes, you consummate the marriage that way. But again, she's conceived of the Holy Spirit and... They did not have that intimacy until after Christ was born.
1: Uh-huh. And I think that's important. And the Bible tells us what we need to know. So anything beyond what the Bible says is pure speculation. And when you start getting into um, Jesus' offsprings, well, how do we know? We don't even have his DNA. We don't even have, you know— we think we have other people's dna but do we really know do we really have their dna these are questions we have to come up with and you know if the bible is clear jesus was never married we wouldn't have his dna all of that would have been destroyed and if the the shard, the the shard Roud of taran Of Taran, if it was that, which I don't think it is, um, had it, I mean, you would still, we can maybe get hairs and poles, but that's, it's hard to to go on to, to speak about things that the Bible doesn't speak about. And to speculate beyond what the Bible says, we know, I mean, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible and the Holy Spirit being God cannot lie, won't deceive us. He is good. He is just, he is holy and righteous. And so we can take the Bible as its word. And to read that it was by the power of the spirit, which should bring us into think about how Jesus is living in his 33 years, the life of Israel. And to think about the spirit hovering over Mary is remnant of the the Spirit hovering over the faces of the deep. I think Matthew is pulling us and making us think about what is happening now in Jesus is repeating what God has already done in creation and by choosing a person to bring his promises about. And so to Arthur, I mean, I guess anything can appear to be speculating um, on it. And so, you know, yeah, and we that, have to be kind of clear on what the Bible says Yeah, and we can think through things like it's, it's can be good to think about what if Adam did not eat of the fruit that he did what he was supposed to do, what would that mean? There is some values in that, but in the end, we are living in a fallen world with it. And so we seek to understand what the Bible says and to do it and to think about his DNA or other things that really, we can't prove at, there comes a point in which it's unprofitable and the church has always. Um, kind of drawn the line on what is profitable to think about versus what at what point does it it no longer matters it doesn't have a bearing on our faith
0: yeah yeah and it comes down really to like getting into the whole dna and all that stuff like it's not even a place where i would go it's more of just what does the bible say the bible is the word uh-huh. of god it is the final authority in the life of a believer. It's the final authority, period. Uh, unbelievers will reject it. Unbelievers rebel against it. Unbelievers love to find ways to challenge the Word of God. But my question then to unbelievers, maybe to Arthur here, is uh, what is your authority then? By what, On what basis do you make the claims in which you make? Because the Bible speaks for itself. I don't know who is it, Lewis, or maybe it's Spurgeon. I think it's Spurgeon that says the Bible's like a lion. You just let it loose. Uh and it defends it trying to work to defend what the Bible says the Bible says it so when we look at what the Bible says about Joseph being the the father of Jesus but yet not being the biological father of Jesus we take what the Bible says we believe what, what the Bible says because it's God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit it's men moved by God to write down the words of God for us to have It's not men moving, as Peter says, of their own, coming up with their own ideas uh, about the things of God. It is men moved by God. And so the Scriptures are the Word of God, and so we trust the Word of God when it tells us what it says. And we try to read it to be clear on what it is saying. And it just does not teach, regardless of how you feel about the Bible, whether you believe the Word of God or you don't believe the Word of God, it does not teach that Joseph is the biological father. Of Jesus, he is the mm-hmm. husband of Mary, he is a father to Jesus, not the biological father. That which is in Mary was conceived of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and we should be like Mary, and should
1: we we should treasure these things and ponder about them because there is a great mystery and awe that we can receive in thinking about how god um became man and that he came to he became man to save us of our sins and that the promise in Genesis 3:16 is fulfilled and so we can these are important and if To think upon these things of what Mary was hearing from the angels, from the, um, the prophetess, Anna, and from others about who he was, who he will be, what he will do. I mean, the call is the same to us to think upon who is
0: Jesus. All right. Hey, Arthur, I want to thank you for for tuning in. You're kind of catching us at the end of our program. We usually go an hour, went a little over, because our first two segments were a little bit long. Um, But he says here, By the way, you shouldn't make assumptions, I am Catholic. So I would would encourage you to come back again another time. Uh, We are getting ready to pull out of here, uh, but I don't want to leave you. I want to give you the gospel. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only way. It's not through the Roman Catholic Church. It's not through any denomination at all. It's really through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's not by faith plus works. It's by faith alone. The Bible says it is by grace through faith, and that is how a man finds salvation. You must be born again. It's a work of God in your heart. And so my prayer for you and anyone else who is listening, if you have not been born again, that the Spirit of God would move within you, that you'd be convicted of your sin, and that you would believe on Jesus Christ, who died, buried, and was rose again on the third day to save sinners from their sins. Praise the Lord for, for his salvation, that he offers to uh, the lost, that he comes to seek and save that which is lost, and he does exactly what he says, and he does save his people from their sins. That's been G220 Radio. Mike, any last words real quick? See you next week. All right. I got to get over here and pull this up. God bless and good night.